0: Will you please pray with me? Now, Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. So apart from the Lord and apart from my wife and my kids and obviously all of you guys, there are a few things that I really love. A few things. Uh, One of them would be Liverpool Football Club. I love Liverpool Football Club. Uh, I also love riding my moped around the island with my daughter Lizzie on the back. It's a lot of fun. I love playing sports. It's a big part of my life. I love listening to the band U2, as many have discovered already, and also Coldplay as well. I love a pint of cold cider on a hot summer's day. That's a good thing. I love watching an episode of Seinfeld or All Creatures Great and Small or The IT Crowd. It's a great British comedy if you don't know that. And, of course, I love the Green Bay Packers. Now, it's still a long time until the new football season begins, college or professional, but my NFL buddies, who I'm on a text chain, have already begun texting me about the impending collapse of the Green Bay Packers. Our MVP quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, if you don't know, he's gone, and we have an almost rookie for a quarterback, Jordan Love. But as I tell them, we've been here before. And in the words or perhaps the letters of Aaron Rodgers himself, Folks just need to R-E-L-A-X. Relax. The Packers are and always have been a great team. And they possess the greatest NFL coach of all time. Forget Bill Belichick. We have Vince Lombardi. A man who, during his nine seasons in Green Bay, won five NFL championships, including Super Bowls 1 and 2. And guess what? They named the trophy after him now. That's how great he was. He compiled a remarkable 89-29-4 regular season record, which is better than Belichick's percentage. Trust me. Well, one of my stories about Lombardi is from July, our favorite story is from July 1961, right at the beginning of this time when Vince Lombardi kicked off the first day of training camp for the 38 players on his Green Bay Packers football team. And the prior season had ended in this heartbreaking loss to the Philadelphia Eagles after blowing a lead in the fourth quarter of the NFL championship game. And when the players came to training camp, they expected immediately to begin where they'd left off work and perhaps to advance their game and learn some fancy new ways to win the championship in the new season. When they sat down and began, though, Vince Lombardi did this. He held up a football and said, this is a football. Right? No, wrong. He didn't hold up that football. You're right. It's okay. I'm just teasing you. He held up a football. He said, gentlemen, this is a football. And then he went on to open up their playbooks and starting on page one, where they began uh, to learn the fundamentals, blocking and tackling and throwing and catching. And as players were at the top of their game, this clearly wasn't what they were expecting at the time. But this hyper-focus on the fundamentals allowed them to win the NFL championship game against the New York Giants that season, 37 to zero. And Vince Lombardi then went on to win five NFL championships in seven years. And he never coached a losing team after that, and he never lost a playoff game. This is a football. Well, this week we kick off a sermon series on the church, and I want to say not this is a football, but this is a church. This is a church. And just like football, where well, there are different kinds of ways of playing the game. In fact, there are at least two kinds of football, right? European and American, and that doesn't even count arena football, futsal, all those different varieties. Well, There are many different ways of being church, but the fundamentals always remain the same. To worship, to pray, to break bread, to study scripture, to share our faith, to love the least of these, etc., etc. These are the fundamentals. And while to take one of these as an example, let's take worship or singing, fads may come and go. For instance, the great 16th century reformer Martin Luther once said of the organ... The organ in worship is the sign of Baal. The organ in worship is the sign of Baal, which you, you know who Baal is. Baal was a false god of the heathen. so clearly Luther was not a fan of the organ, even though many people think it's been around since Jesus. No, fads come and go, but the fundamentals go on and on and on until Jesus returns. Now, why are we doing a sermon series on the church? Well, it's because, if you haven't heard in about nine months, God willing, this campus will become a church in its own right. After 17 years coupled with our mother campus on Sullivan's Island, we will be a new autonomous parish within the Anglican Diocese of South Carolina. I want us to be in no doubt about who we are as a church as we do this. And so over the coming weeks and months, we're going to cover the fundamentals. But for today, we will begin at the beginning and Jesus' commission to the first leaders of his bride, the church, to be witnesses to the world. So what is a church? Well, to put it as simply as possible, because I like simple, a church is a witness to the world of who God is and what he's done. A church is a witness to the world of who God is and what he has done. And today's reading from Acts chapter 1 makes this clear. And while we can argue over the how of doing this, it's hard to argue with the overarching call to be a witness to the world of who God is And what he's done. These are Jesus' final words to his followers of what they're to do after he ascends. And it's Luke's version of the Great Commission that we also find in Matthew's Gospel. And while it's slightly different than Matthew's account, the same fundamentals are here. If you look at verse 6, it says this We hear the disciples ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? To which Jesus replies, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And then he gives them their final uh, charge. Verse 8: But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Here we've got Jesus laying the foundation for what the church or what a church is to do. And at Holy Cross, we've laid this out in a vision statement which is a way of giving us clarity as uh, one particular local expression of the church. Perhaps you've heard it before. Holy Cross is a community living for Christ in the power of the Spirit and to the glory of the Father. Holy Cross is a community living for Christ in the power of the Spirit and to the glory of the Father. And this encompasses the what and the how and the why of our particular church as shaped by Jesus' call to be witnesses to the world of who he is and what he's done. So what are we? We're a community living for Christ. Uh, How do we do it? We do it in the power of the Spirit. And why do we do it? We do it for the glory of the Father. So first of all then, let's look at that first part. What are we? A community living for Christ. You know, this actually says more about what we're not in some ways than it says about what we are. You see, we're not primarily a Sunday morning worship service, although hopefully we all prioritize a weekly commitment to worshiping, with each other. We're also not a social club, although hopefully we love to connect with each other, Hopefully that's something we enjoy doing. We want to be friends with each other. We're also not a building, although we do love our buildings. They are great facilities that we use for all kinds of wonderful things. We're also not a business, although we love to provide great services to people in our community that they often pay for through our preschool or through our music academy or our kids club and through which they engage with us and they also experience the gospel either directly or indirectly. No, first and foremost... We are a community. We're a community. Listen to how Pastor Jim Putnam puts this. Many Christians mistakenly believe the only thing that matters is their relationship with Jesus. It's just me and Jesus, they'll say. But that's not what Scripture tells us at all. We were created to love God and to love others. Both are important. Granted, your most important relationship is with God through Jesus Christ— It is out of the overflowing of an abiding relationship with Jesus that we have the capacity to be in relationship with others, is what Kendall spoke on last week. But God tells us in his word that to have a real relationship with him is to have real relationships with others. There is no way around it. This journey is not a solo journey community is one of God's primary ways of making us holy, of sanctifying us, of helping us to become more like Jesus. As iron sharpens iron, we hear in scripture. And when we reject our brothers and sisters in Christ, we reject Jesus. And note also that we are a community with a purpose. We don't just do community so we can have nice warm fuzzies inside. Although those are nice too, and sometimes those come along when we are the church. But No, our purpose is to live for Christ. We do this as a family. We do this as a body. We do this as Jesus' bride. And just like in a family or a body or a marriage, guess what? This doesn't always produce warm fuzzies, does it? Sometimes these things are really hard. But it's still what we're called to do without giving up. And we do it together because it helps us to witness to a world that doesn't really want to hear what we have to say or to live how we choose to live. Jesus' manifesto for living, for example, the Sermon on the Mount, isn't what our culture really wants to hear. It goes against the grain. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These aren't maxims that sit too well with the American dream. And so, as the writer of Ecclesiastes puts it, a three-chord strand is stronger than a one-chord strand. We stand together and we support and encourage each other. Well, sadly, this week we lost one of the great church pastors of the last 50 years in America, a man called Tim Keller that you may have heard of. He died at age 72 after a three-year battle with cancer. And I've quoted from his books often in my sermons, and it seems fitting to quote him today as we give thanks for his life. And it's a football analogy quote, which also seems appropriate today. He says this about the church. The church is often like a football stadium where 22 people need a rest and thousands of people need exercise. (laughs) Right? Church is often like a football stadium where 22 people need rest and thousands of people need exercise. How true is that? Friends, let's all be a community for Christ. Let's all be a community for Christ, not a chosen few with the rest spectating from the sidelines. Well, secondly, how do we do it? We do it in the power of the Spirit. You know, if there's one thing I've learned as your pastor over the last eight years or so, it's that we have a lot of talented people in our midst. People who, in a Bible study, may feel awkward and uncomfortable, but in their element, when I see them in their element, whether they're teaching or it's in finance or childcare or business or cooking or fixing cars or flying planes or selling homes or making music, etc., they're amazing. They're amazing. And that's great. But the danger is that when you've got a talent, that you can depend more on the talent than the one who gave you the talent. What does Jesus tell those first disciples to do just before he leaves them and ascends to heaven? He alludes to it in our reading from Acts chapter 1, when he tells them that they will receive power from the Holy Spirit when he comes upon them. But in Luke's gospel account, we hear him tell them that they are to wait until they are clothed with power from on high. They're to wait for that. You see, it's only in God's strength that a disciple can do anything for God's kingdom. Only in his strength, however talented they may be. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers us as ministers of the gospel. Say after me, I am a minister of the gospel. We're all ministers, brothers and sisters, but we only do this in the power of the Spirit. We're only witnesses to the world In his power. The Spirit gives us power to share the gospel when we feel afraid or tongue tied. The Spirit gives us power to keep God's commands when temptations keep coming our way. He gives us the power to stand firm when we suffer, as Peter was talking about in his letter today, or when we're mocked for our beliefs. He gives us the power when doubts come. He gives us power to give of ourselves and our God given resources when we're tempted to hoard it all to ourselves. He gives us power to forgive again. And again, 70 times 7 when everything inside us tells us not to. And this should come as a relief. You see, we don't do this on our own or in our own strength. And when God calls you to do hard things, and trust me, he's going to call you to do hard things if you're truly seeking to follow him, he will give you the strength to do those things. You just need to ask. This is crucial, friends. And As we uh, launch as a church I want us to really understand what it means to live in the power of the Spirit. And so a brief teaser of what lies ahead. But this fall, I'm going to ask each one of us who would call ourselves part of the church that we have here on Daniel Island to do a 50-day devotional looking at who the Holy Spirit is that our friend and brother in Jesus, um, uh, Clive Calver, has actually written and offered to us free of charge. It's a fantastic book and there'll be more details to follow, but be looking out for that this fall as we go through that together and perhaps in our life groups as well. Let's be a community living for Christ in the power of the Spirit. And finally, why do we do this? Well, we do it for God's glory, not for our own. You know, many of you may have grown up in a denomination where you had to learn a catechism, maybe many boring Sunday mornings or Saturday mornings, I don't know when you did it, where you had to learn the catechism off by heart. It's a systematic document to teach theology through a question and answer format. And in fact, our ACNA, the Anglican Church in North America, of which we're a part, has a really good one that they've just produced. You can get it on Amazon for about 20 bucks. I do recommend it. Well, the very first question asked in one of the most famous catechisms, the Westminster Shorter Catechism of 1647, says this, What is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? And the answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Simple, isn't it? And to the point. And it reminds us that we're ultimately not here for ourselves, but for the one who created us and loves us, God himself. And our main purpose is to give glory to him. Remember, we're called to be God's witnesses to the world. My daughter Hannah and I spent the first part of this weekend in Seneca, South Carolina. And on the way up, we listen to some true crime podcasts, just to pass the time from NBC's Dateline. And one thing you learn as you listen to these, is the importance of a good witness if a prosecutor's going to win a case. A good witness is everything. And the same is true if people are going to come to know and love Jesus. They need a good witness. And so our lives must glorify God. In this, we're actually following Jesus' example. Perhaps you caught it in our gospel reading today. John 17, verse 4, he said this, I have glorified you, that's the Father, on earth. And so should we. In our reading from 1 Peter, we read, Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. A life that glorifies God is a life That attracts people to jesus friends let's be a community living for christ in the power of the spirit and to the glory of god the father i'll finish with this on friday i was doing one of the things i love i was playing football Uh, european or american you may ask well perhaps in a monty python-esque sort of way right well european of course i don't do american football very well And as the game was wrapping up, one of the younger guys, well, actually, they all seem younger these days, asked me what church I'm a part of. And I make no secret of being a pastor, so I wasn't surprised by the question, but I was surprised by the person who was asking. You see, I've been playing soccer with this guy for about eight years or so, and in the first few years, I would have had no idea that he would have any interest in the Christian faith. And I haven't really seen him much over the last few years, so I told him that I'm at the church on the roundabout right here. And he replied that he'd become a follower of Jesus in 2020. And as the rest of the players continued playing, we had this amazing conversation about the difference that this had made in his life and just how it's opened his eyes to see what's real and true and what's not and just how sinful and broken the world is around us. Well, toward the end of what must have been at least a 15-minute conversation in which we were oblivious to the soccer game going on, occasionally dodging a ball or two, I shared that I would be preaching about what a church is this Sunday. Oh yes, church, that's from ecclesia," he said. That's the Greek word for it. And um, he continued, that means the called out ones. And he reminded me of something I'd forgotten. Yes, as the church, we are the called out ones. The called out ones. We're not ultimately citizens of Berkeley County or of South Carolina or even of the United States of America. No, we're ultimately, we're citizens of God's kingdom First and foremost, this is where our first allegiance should always be, whatever the cost. And we're called out of the world to be witnesses in the world of who God is and what he's done. And this young man got it. And he couldn't stop talking about it. He said to me, you know, when I start talking about what's happened to me, I just can't stop. I just have to tell more. And it was fantastic. You see, when God grabs a hold of you by the power of the Holy Spirit, it changes everything. And you want to witness to the world with your words and your deeds and to all that he's done. Some of us, though, we get caught up in the things of the world, so caught up that we're of no heavenly good to God's earthly purposes. Perhaps we become more consumed with the material, or with entertainment or the good life, or maybe just with living a quiet life, to name a few things. We're more caught up in those things than laying down our lives for the sake of our neighbors or even our enemies. And instead of the church then shining like a city on a hill, brightly, as Jesus calls us to do in Matthew chapter 5, we burn like this tiny small candle in the corner of a darkened room, hardly noticeable. Friends, today as we launch, may we burn brightly, and be a community living for Christ in the power of the Spirit and to the glory of the Father. What is a church? What is a church? Well, friends, this is a church, right? This is a church. It may feel awkward, but this is a church, not a football, all right? You are the church called out by God to live as witnesses in the world that people might come to know and to love him. As Bridget Willard puts it, church isn't where you meet. Church isn't a building. Church is what you do. Church is who you are. Church is the human outworking of the person of Jesus Christ. Let's not go to church. Let's be the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us in our call to be a church. Our call to be the church here on Daniel Island and in the surrounding area of Clements Ferry and East Cooper and all the different parts that we touch. Lord, would you help us to be a people who are a community living for you and for your glory alone. Help us to be a people who burn brightly like a city on a hill, not like a small dim candle in a darkened room, that people might come to know and love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.